For the ANA Champions of Growth podcast, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Diversity, equity, and inclusion has catapulted to the top of the agenda for brands in the last few years, as most every company has an increasing responsibility to alter its hiring and business practices to reflect major changes in demographics in the U.S. and throughout the world. Many companies see the benefits of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and continue to bolster their marketing and advertising strategies to bring new and disparate audiences into the fold. But there are plenty of other organizations that are still having a tough time recognizing profound changes in culture, identity, and community. That's according to Laura Korczynski, VP of Account Services and head of the U.S. operation at Visual Latina, a global ad agency whose clients include Coca-Cola, Kellogg's, and Mondelez International. Laura joins me now to talk about how ad agencies can help to spur diversity, equity, and inclusion and point their clients in a positive direction. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Laura, your agency is predicated on diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's not some shiny object over there, but baked into the entire process. So what's your advice for brands and agencies that are starting to make DE&I part of their value proposition and their operation? What are the best practices right now? I can give a few simple suggestions that people can implement right away. And these are some of the practices that we do with our internal agency. Host regular informal focus groups with diverse audiences. Ask questions and then really listen to their answers and apply them to your creative or campaign output. Try not to retrofit a brand's brief to meet a specific commercial goal. Start by truly understanding the challenge or the tension and then identify the consumer and the cultural insight that will inform the best approach for you to take. And then lastly, and this seems pretty straightforward, but walk the talk from the top, from leadership down. Internally, it's so important to demonstrate a sense of inclusiveness in the talent you hire and in the practices within your own organization. Uh, and I could backtrack for a moment when you talk about retrofit. Is that sort of part of the challenge here that uh, brands may, may approach this with sort of preordained way of approaching a different market? That's exactly it. Sometimes, you know, you'll get a brand brief and the client might already have an idea in their mind of how they want the output to be. And I think it's really important to, you know, challenge that or shake it up to ensure that everyone is having a very open-minded thought consensus before you get started. And with diversity, equity, inclusion becoming more important, simply to stay viable and reach uh, consumers, is there a greater sense of urgency among your clients to enlarge their aperture? when it comes to expanding their audiences and communicating to disparate groups of people? I'd say yes and no. So in the clients that we have that have always considered multicultural consumer segments in some aspect, they are shifting their strategies and marketing dollars to ensure that they are showing up both regionally and then you know with more authentic relevance in the media and retailer outlets. It's not a matter of simply slapping on, you know, bilingual copy, um, but really rather being thoughtful in the in the media they're investing in, in the retailers they choose to activate it, and in the type of experiences that they want to offer consumers. But I would say in clients that we have that have never before really prioritized um, multicultural marketing, it's still an uphill battle for us trying to, I guess, convince them of the importance to their business and um, to retaining loyal consumers in the long run. And this sort of plays into my next question. Where is the skepticism when you say you're having a tough time communicating the benefits with clients? 
And in return, what are the kinds of questions you were getting from clients? I would say some resistance comes from maybe some leadership and lack of being informed or educated around this. To us, it doesn't feel like that new of a topic. We've been doing this inherently in, in our agency for a long time, but we have to recognize that it is um, new for, for many clients. So the resistance might be built from um, you know, those on top not really wanting to give it uh, a try or to invest their dollars in it. So we do try to, you know, work with that and try to reach them directly um, to make sure that there is space for this open conversation. And again, how are you assuaging those concerns, for lack of a better term? What do you, what do you, are you showing them the data? Are you showing them the, the visuals? Are you, again, bringing in people from your team to talk to and tell their stories? I would say it's a little bit of all of that. Uh, we we kind of blend art and science. So we do bring the data, the facts, the insights that we know, but then we also blend that with our real world experience. And the majority of the uh, employees of our agency are multicultural by nature. They come with very, um, I would say influential, you know, perspective and their own personal stories. And through that, you know, we, we try to shape the conversation with whom we're trying to speak to. So I say we, you know, we have to bring both. They're both of merit. We bring our creative, our communications, um, examples of what we've done that's been successful. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the tide turns and sometimes it does not, but we we keep this top of mind and we continue to pursue it. So it is, but it is across the board in terms of the spectrum, you know, in terms of you may have a client who in January may have some skepticism, but by June or July or December, might have changed his or her tune about the value here. Whereas there, whereas there might be other clients who are still, who are forever stuck in January. And in that vein, what questions do you ask the skeptics, the, the, the clients who are resistant in terms of trying sort of, in terms of unpacking their skepticism? I would say it comes down to two rather foundational questions. One, who are you trying to reach? And two, do you feel like you're being successful? I mean, just by starting there alone and when we unpack the whole idea of who is your target consumer, not just what, what's written on paper, but who is actually consuming you know, your brand or your product, who is buying it, what do we know about them? And then do you feel like you, you know, you're employing the appropriate tactics to reach them? And maybe they are, but in many cases uh, with that deeper level of understanding, we, we find out together um, that they're not necessarily and that there is room for us to, you know, really champion this idea of diverse segmentation. Are they not looking at all or are they looking and the uh, evidence is hiding in plain sight? Is it part of their hierarchy? I'm trying to get a better sense of, you know, where their holes are. It's hard for me to, you know, put myself in their shoes and answer that. However, I would say it appears that it's just based on history of the company. So for many older brands, more conservative, traditional brands, I think they carry with them a very traditional way of marketing. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, new brands, I don't, I don't, not just startups, but, you know, newer mm -hmm. companies and organizations um, mm -hmm. do have a, a fresher perspective many times. So I'm not sure the reasons. I do think it is um, out in front of all of us. But mm -hmm. when we do find resistance, oftentimes it's just a matter of, you know, how the organization is set up and it just takes some, um, some prodding with the education. As we head into a break, what's the danger overall, Laura, for brands and their agencies 
that continue to give DE and I short shrift that sort of just tinker at the margins, as it were. There's missed opportunities. I mean, that can result in potential missed revenue just by being narrow focused and ignoring the reality and importance of today's diverse marketplace. Our consumers are increasingly aware of this and we need to get ahead of it too, particularly when it comes to these newer generations for which this mentality will ultimately be a given. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We now take a break for a brief message regarding Marketing Futures, which is part of the ANA Podcast Network. The ANA Marketing Futures Podcast provides a deep dive on the future of the marketing and business sectors. Whether it's artificial intelligence, deep fakes, or the metaverse, the podcast demystifies emerging trends, shares unique perspectives, and breaks down critical economic issues relevant to marketers. Hosted by Mike Berberich, Senior Director, Content Strategy and Marketing Futures at the ANA, the podcast is required listening for CMOs and senior marketers who are thinking ahead of the pack and bracing for what's shaping up to be profound changes in marketing communications. For more information, please visit ana.net slash podcasts. And now back to our show. Welcome back. I'm talking with Laura Korczynski, VP of Account Services and Head of the U.S. Operation at Visual Latina. Laura, I wonder if agencies, even for agencies like yours in which diversity is a given, need to play a more proactive role encouraging and accompanying, excuse me, marketers to get out into the field to provide more of an inside out view of their audiences rather than the outside in view, which is the default lever for many marketers, let's face it. Yes, sometimes it really is as simple as walking the streets. And we make it a routine agency or activity for our agency leads to conduct market visits across all of our, the regions and channels in which we operate to gain and share this perspective on who is shopping, uh, who is consuming, what are the opportunities at retail since you know that's our focus. We talk to the consumers, we talk to the store owners. I mean, we host informal focus groups and when we create brand experiences, we attend them ourselves. So we definitely try to keep that as a practice as the agency, but we also do invite our uh, client partners along with us for the ride. So we have what we call ride-alongs and this is when we do a market visit at different um, you know, retail outlets with our client, and we have a checklist of what we want to observe, and we have, you know, talking, um, you know, afterwards we debrief, and that's where we identify new briefs. I mean, that's where new projects come from. What are the opportunities? So I um, 100% agree that it's necessary for us to uh, get out there and understand, you know, what's going on in the real world. Are you finding that once you get out on the street that it morphs the brief? It gives us more leverage to push back on the brief. I would say that it doesn't always work, but it, if clients come with us or you know our brand partners come with us, we're able to all have our eyes opened and come away with a more aligned you know point of view of what is the behavior we're trying to change and with whom. Whereas you might not have those elements had you stayed within the four walls. Of course, uh, desk research is wonderful, but it can only provide you so much of a picture. Is it, uh, do you think a law of diminishing returns when you consider all the uh, macro changes in the culture, staying within those four walls? I think you're doing yourself a disservice, you know, you and your, you know, your agency or your company, if you're only confined to what's in those four walls or what's on the internet, you're not necessarily speaking to those people that you need to go out and reach with your campaigns. 
Can you provide a recent example, Laura, a, a campaign that's already seen the light of day in which you could sort of uh, give us the backstory in terms of when you went out on the street? Sure. So among our own roster, we've been the agency of record with Coca-Cola in this market for about 15 years and always supporting their multicultural marketing function of the company. And we proactively came to them with a proposal for their brand Fanta a couple of years ago. We recognized it was a brand that was highly consumed over indexing by um, US Hispanics, but we also recognized through you know, these market visits that the only communication they were really promoting or really investing heavily in, I should say, was around Halloween. And not that Halloween is not um, you know, resonating or relevant with US Hispanic audiences, but we thought there could be a deeper connection if we um, had a campaign around Dia de los Muertos or Day of the Dead instead. So we created an omni-channel pilot program based really on this blend of art and science, you know, on the insight of, you know, mm -hmm. who's doing the product, but also on the reality of who's activating. And at the time, Day of the Dead several years ago wasn't as mainstream and as highly mm -hmm. activated by brands. Mm -hmm. So it was a real ownable space for, mm -hmm. for Fanta. Um, we knew Hispanics wanted to pass down tradition to their children, and that's, that's very important to them. So we developed this interactive chatbot where... Shoppers just scan a code on the Fanta package in the stores, and it opens up the chance to chat bilingually with one of four Mexican folkloric characters from the dead. So it was a fun, witty way for the brand to put out this campaign um, to really, you know, pass down that heritage, but also have like an interaction with younger generations. So I think that was a really great example. And to this day, now um, Fanta invests in uh, Dia de los Muertos program annually. Mm -hmm. And any other success stories, marketing efforts you can share with me? And I love the uh, example you just mentioned because it seems like there would be all sorts of events, festivities, celebrations throughout uh, throughout the culture that five or ten years ago may not have been as recognized as they are now. Right. I mean, ten years ago, we. We had a more, I don't know if you want to call it stereotypical view of the, the activation calendar, for example, like Cinco de Mayo, but then through um, verbatim interactions with our consumers and the Hispanic re uh, retailer outlets we were activating in, they said, this actually isn't really resonating with who you're trying to go after. This is, um, you know, really resonating with general pop Americans. So we shifted our strategy uh, accordingly. So I think it's, you know, on both sides of it, sometimes we have these big successes. Other times we have these um, big learnings or these watch out moments where we think, okay, so what's something that has a little more depth or a little more meat to it in terms of being really culturally relevant. And a quick follow-up is, is that sort of the, or that, should that be the baseline moving forward in terms of avoiding those stereotypes? I mean, we've all read about uh, the uh, debate over Latina X, um, you know, as a as an as a uh, hopeless white guy, you know, I don't even know how to pronounce that term correctly. But I do know that advertisers were using that term, and then reading stories about well, the community doesn't particularly like that term, and feel it's uh, feel it's just a, uh, a land grab. What's your take on how that relates to? being careful just not to traffic in stereotypes and not to make presumptions about certain cultures being a monolith. 
That's probably, you know, the number one advice we give to clients when we're first venturing out into, you know, diversity or multicultural marketing is to try to avoid a stereotype trap. But I mean, let's be honest, there are some brands that that activating on Cinco de Mayo makes perfect sense and they see a huge, you know, sales uplift. Think of some like Mexican beer brands. So I don't I don't think it's a one size fits all guardrail, but I think it is really important to consider your brand, what you stand for, you know, what your heritage is, like think in a broader context. There's there's a campaign that I personally really like, and it's from a completely different category, uh, Harley Davidson for motorcycles. Mm-hmm. And it's the campaign called Tough Turbans. So I love this because it's a great example of trying not to market to a group without first understanding what that group really needs from you as a brand. Mm-hmm. They, they recognize the need to develop a turban that has um, like an impact resistant material to allow motorcycle riding Sikhs to be able to ride. Um, That was a huge barrier for them. There was this big group of motorcycle riding enthusiasts. However, they were at a disadvantage because, um, you know, for religious reasons, they were wearing their turban and they couldn't wear a helmet for protection. Mm -hmm. So they, um, Harley Davidson brought in a Sikh expert as a consultant in the design process and making sure that, you know, this tradition was a core pillar in production. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that's really, you know, from the ground up in my point of view and in mm-hmm. turning a brief on its head. And in our prep meeting, Laura, you mentioned the accelerating trend of retro acculturation or people born in America who have a keener interest in their ancestral roots with the trend particularly prevalent among millennials and Gen Zers. So my question is, what kind of opportunities does this present to major advertisers. We've been talking about this concept with our clients for years, but I'm finding that it's still, you know, new terminology for many. So we know how consumers acculturate, you know, they try to fit into American culture so as not to feel alienated. But then seeing the growing population and influence on Hispanics here, consumers don't really need to choose anymore. So this this concept works twofold. Those less acculturated are more comfortable adapting to American life, and they're doing it rapidly because they no longer need to choose. And then those highly acculturated are now feeling comfortable going back and um, embracing their roots and all the facets of their heritage because uh, they're actually proud of it and they want to share it with others. As DE and I becomes the cost of entry, what do you see as the uh, key priorities? Uh, for CMOs and marketers to make sure that this is, uh, again, part of the core and that uh, they're really paying attention to rapidly changing demographics, rapidly uh, changing country and new cultures. So from our you know, commerce standpoint, honestly, we are measuring the same KPIs, whether it's a multicultural um, you know, depth campaign or a total market. It's usually you know, engagement and sales growth. So without like specific retailer tracking tools, it's oftentimes impossible for us to really know in our industry who is engaging with our work or not. Uh, We rely on candid feedback from, you know, retail partners and uh, sales execution experts to really come back to us, um, you know, with performance details, or if we activate something digitally for multicultural um, audiences, which we do all the time, that is much easier for us to not only measure, but also iterate along the way, depending on how it's uh, performing. 
So that's one reason, you know, we always push to really have an omni-channel strategy, not just relying on what's going on in the brick and mortar, but also um, ensuring you're aware your desired ta um, targeted audience is and where they're shopping or seeking inspiration. Laura, anything you'd like to add? Anything salient I may be missing? Uh, I really get a sense that it's really across the board in terms of the temperature out there. Uh, among clients uh, for this uh, sort of thing, uh, as well as your prospects. But uh, again, what do you see as, uh, say, the top top one or two priorities? And and again, what's uh, what's sort of a very fluid situation? I can't reiterate enough the importance of collaboration. And this is not just agency client collaboration, but um, you know, partner to partner. So we all need to work on this together. Um, you know, raising the visibility of it, but then also ensuring that we are holding ourselves accountable and responsible for um, diversity acknowledgement to come through in the work that we're putting out there. We'll have to leave it at that. To learn more about uh, the agency's DE&I efforts, please go to welcometovisual.com. And a big thanks to my guest today, Laura Korczynski, VP of Account Services and Head of U.S. Operations at Visual Latina. For the ANA Champions of Growth podcast, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Until next time, thanks for listening.